This is Kit Simons and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. I'm Jay Mack, your host for this one. Whilst I wish we could keep talking about that amazing Liverpool result at Anfield, we must now move on to Manchester City, who are very likely the champions of England this season. With me to discuss this, and if anything can be taken out of this game, it seems like a free hit, but you never know, other teams have done it, are Matt Dom and Ben Robertson, and in the middle we've got Matt Buclair and Morgan Colton to discuss the career of Kit Simons. Not to be missed. See you in a second. Fulham. Right, guys. Man City. (laughs) Uh, They have just beaten Southampton tonight 5-2. You've got two goals from Kevin De Bruyne, a goal from Gundogan, two goals from Riyad Mahrez and two assists from Phil Foden. Blimey, I, I wish we could just talk about Liverpool a bit more, to be honest, Tom. I'm not sure if this is... I mean, talk about the next step of games, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can we? Can we just talk about Liverpool? Because be nice. all, all I've really, all I've really got to say about City is, um, it's it's a free free hit, isn't it? As everyone says, but you know the way we're playing. I, I said this before the Spurs game. I can't, I can't see us losing many games at the moment. Obviously, we were unlucky to lose that one against against um, Tottenham, but um, you know, beating Liverpool after that. I, who knows? I think we've got a chance. Who knows? Again, something. There's always a chance. I mean, you look at sort of the results, maybe not this season, but last season, the way Norwich City played against Man City when they beat them. Um, you know, they, they had the ability to track the runs of all the City midfielders and forwards and they passed around their high press quite well. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, I read a statistic somewhere, I think it was on Five Live, that if you manage to score the first goal against City at the moment, you have just under around 60% chance of winning the game. Um, I, I don't know if I've just made that up, but still, I, I'd like to believe it. Um, before we go on on this, I just want to talk about Man City memories. And the one that stands out to me is obviously the 3-2 comeback for the great escape. And obviously what that led to for, you know, the Roy Hodgson era, as Frenchie was talking about quite recently on uh, The Focus. So I, I'd like to know, am I right in thinking that's one of our greatest memories, Dom? Or have you got any others you can think of? I think it was a, a Kam- Kamara brace and who scored the other one? Not the Kamara you uh, don't like, the actual Kamara. Yeah, the, the good Kamara. <laughs> the good yeah, Kamara. it was um, it was Danny Murphy. Uh, he he was had it. a save, a penalty saved, and then smashed in the rebound. Um, I mean, that's the one, isn't it? it it's <laughs> if got you to think, be. You think Fulham City? That's that's the one. Uh, we were down at half time, and then we know what happened afterwards. Um, it, it's interesting that people forget. I'm pretty sure I'm. I say people forget. I'm, I'm forgetting, but I'm pretty sure earlier in that season. Uh, we drew three, all of them at the, at the cottage. Um, Boatza scored a scored a free kick. Um, I think mm. Danny Murphy scored again. Another classic. So it's a good it's a good season for goals against City. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I might be wrong. Someone will correct me if I am. Uh, but that was that was earlier in that season. Um, other than that, we've had some decent games with them, letting you know down the leagues before we were both in the Premier League. But but yeah, I mean, recently it's just been getting tonked, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think one of my only memories... I'm going to get to you in a minute, Ben, mate. I'm not ignoring you. Um, one of my memories of uh, Man City is that... I think Frenchie did something very nicely. It was my 30th birthday in the 18-19 season. And uh, I, J-Mac from Fulham Focus, his birthday today, first birthday, happy birthday, was read out, which is really nice. I nearly missed it as well. And Frenchie went through all that effort of messaging them. So that was, that was nice, even though we lost... I think it was 2-0. Scott Parker was manager then. Ben, mate, hello. Um, give us your thoughts. So what's your 
favourite memory of Man City before we talk about the, the onslaught this, this weekend? I mean, um, I think the main one that comes to me, um, apart from the Man City away game, we won 3-2. Well, I was there actually that day. Got me Paul Koncheski shirt in the wardrobe still from that day, funnily enough. Nice. Um, but that, that last uh, game for Tim Ream ever before he disappeared into mediocrity. Um, oh, yeah. Finished. Um, the good three minutes, four minutes, and then it went Pete Tong, really, didn't it? I don't even know what the final score was. I think I turned it off after about the second goal. I think it was nil. I'm pretty sure it was 4 nil. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was only... What was that last Jan? Was it March? Jan nineteen or was it? Wait a minute, which game? Me? Wait a minute, are we talking about the FA Cup game where Tim Green got an effort a red card because that was last season? Yeah, was yeah, it? yeah, that was yeah, that was Championship. Yeah, it, it feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Right. Oh, I think I thought I was in the Premier March. League last year. Last year. I'm just getting confused. We lost to everyone last time we were in the Premier League, so <laughs> right, it's a fair this assumption. Podcast gold, isn't it? Well, I it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're just talking about our memories, and that's all that's important. I mean, let, let's let's move on and talk about Man City before we go into the player focus. Um, uh, you know, what what do you think Scott will be saying to his players for this game, Matt Dom? It, it, do you think us in the form, the amazing form that we're in, and I've noticed now that a lot of pundits and podcasts, professional ones, are, are you know giving us a lot of praise finally. Um, but we're still 18th. But do you think, you know, our good form and us still being in the relegation zone is actually a bit of a blessing in disguise because it keeps us motivated to know we still have work to do? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's it... All the while we were playing catch-up, it's always been the way with Fulham, isn't it? We're, we we seem to be better when yes. when the expectations are low. And, um, you know, as a, as a fan base, we, we, we generally have quite low expectations. Um I think if well, as soon as we get ourselves ahead into seventeenth, then it's then it's a completely different ball game. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see because Scott Parker did an amazing job of of keeping these lads motivated and and improving, even though we were you know a month ago ten points behind, uh, and now we're obviously we're level on points. Um, remarkable, and and I I would fancy that that he keeps that going. Um, if this same level of of commitment to the cause, uh, if it stays the same over the next however many games of the season, then I I, I honestly think we we're going to survive with with a gap. Um, but it'll be interesting to see when we finally do get heads above water, and what what a bonus it would be if it was against City as well. Yeah, I, but what are your thoughts on this, Ben? Mate, and you know we usually come to to this to the pod, but I mean, would you just keep? The same lineup as it was against Liverpool. Any changes there for you? And just generally your thoughts of what Scott Parker will be saying to his yeah. players for this one. I mean, I mean, I don't think we can justify changing anything about that team. To be fair, that started against Liverpool, um, mm. everything worked perfectly. Um, Scott Parker, he's going to rather be in this position than being chased, as we saw in the Championship. It's always easier chasing that top two or chasing someone above you. Mm. Um, we have the last six games. Um, Full and focus account tweeted the other day actually. We're third in the table and form. Which, when you compare to Southampton are 18th, Newcastle 17th, Brighton 16th, Burnley 13th, it, it's looking up. And yeah. if we can keep that form, like Dom said just a minute ago, I can't see us losing. Um, I, I like, didn't know we were third. That's amazing. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Not about, what? Not about all, is it? It's, it makes a nice change. Dinner's out yeah. the table. <laughs> it, it's a weird one with City. Uh, you know, I didn't think City would do this this season. It's almost, it's almost happened out of nowhere. 
And yet it hasn't. I mean, amidst all the Liverpool collapse and the Spurs collapse, uh, you know, they were top for a while. United being talked about way more and Chelsea sacking Lampard. Then, then sort of the 21 games in a row started happening and you just feel like, oh, what a bit, how's this happening? And uh, I didn't actually think Pep could do a rebuild job. I mean, I thought he was quite heavily reliant on most of the glory signings in the Mancini era, such as Sterling, Company, Silva, Aguero, De Bruyne, Fernandinho. Uh, you know, he's also got a net spend of over half a billion, you know, what, but what do you think's uh, flourished for them this season, Ben? I'll go straight back to you with this one. Yeah, I mean, I think last season was a bit of a blip for them. Um, I know they had, they just didn't seem to get going at any point. Um, whereas, of course, this season they have, and it's been helped by the poor form of people around them. But the only real t- challenges they've had is Man United, and they sort of believe their own hype and fell apart. Mm. Um, that net spend of half a billion, I think there's still some wasted money in there. You look at Nathan Ake from Bournemouth, was it? Him. Yeah. They spent about forty million on him. Um, mm. I don't think he plays for him at the moment, do they? So no. you know, I think you know, given given a good manager that sort of money, it's eventually going to come good. But like I say, Foden, he's come up from well, the last two or three years. He's been sort of the understudy to I can't remember his name. The Sil- Silver? Yeah, the yeah. David Not Bernardo, yeah. the other one, yeah. David Silver. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's been his understudy coming on for the last sort of ten minutes and. He seems to really come to his own, which looks good for England this year as well, because in the Euros are coming up. But, yeah, I mean, spot on. I don't think there's much more they could have done, um, mm. to be fair. And I think Liverpool have helped him out massively. Yeah. I, I noticed also I said da- uh, David da Silva then. That's completely wrong. It's David Silva. Um, what are your thoughts on their style at the moment, though? I mean, I, I've noticed that they're, they're a lot more patient in their build-up in the moment, which could maybe help us. I'm not too sure. But they... They seem to be, it could just also be a cause and effect of, you know, pandemic and no crowds and, you know, a lot more teams now aren't as much energy as they used to. I'd just like to know your thoughts of what do you think we can do to actually try and counteract City in this game slightly? And also, I mean, I've noticed they don't play with a striker anymore. I know they're linked for with Haaland potentially in the summer and maybe Messi, that's just all gossip and hearsay. But they seem to do really well without a striker, really. It means they can stretch us a lot more. Well, just like your your thoughts on this before we move on. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of that type of attacking player who's not really a striker, but can do a job up there. Mm. Um, you know, quick, skillful, good finishers. They've just got a team full of footballers, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, you, they, you, you know, I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying about oh, they spent half a billion or whatever it was. Um it just gives them the biggest squad available. And I think that's that's really what's been the difference in this season. I'm I'm not so sure it's much to do with any change of style because they've they've always had that kind of, you know, ticky tack, whatever you want to call it, the, the passing game, uh patience, 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 goal type football. Um yeah. but you know, Liverpool have fallen apart because maybe last season was too much for them. They have quite a, a small squad comparatively and, you know, you can see where they are now. They've, they've lost six games in a row at home, thanks to us. And Man Man United as well, he's their closest challenger, small squad, too many games. They're, they've been playing a game every four days or something like that with pretty much the same 11. You can kind of see how that, that money, that, that financial ability they've got can, can really just take them away from the rest of the pack. Um, and they've, they've mm. got play, they can switch in the same player. They've, they've got essentially two Champions League first 11s, haven't they? Um, yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone can really compete with that. Last season, Liverpool ran themselves into the ground doing it, but they were never going to be able to repeat that. 
Well, Man City are able to spend, you know, every season they can spend up to three to four 50 million pound signings because of the very similar, you know, to the owners they have as PSG. And because they didn't actually win the title last season, they had, you know, a sort of a refresh, as Ben says, you actually forget that the Man City dynasty is still very much on. Um, You know, while you have clubs that are run with all this sort of financial backing, pretty much a country running them, you do actually... It was quite easy to forget after just after last season. But this could be very much the way of the Premier for a very long time. I think we could probably witness Man City being at the top for the next five to seven years if they keep having this financial backing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it always reminds me of, like, I've seen something like the NFL. We saw the Patriots with Brady for, for years and years, 20 years, something he's, he's been going. He's, they've just kept taking over, kept winning. They've always been a threat. Um, mm. Even the years they didn't play well, they were still up there. They still won the division. They still sort of a, a, a good team. And that seems like Man City at the moment for the last eight, nine years, especially since they've had their money coming from, um, I'm not going to say dodgy sources because that's probably liable, but um, from sources, <laughs> sources external to this country. Um, they've just, they're just, they're unstoppable almost. Um, the only thing they haven't got is Champions League, of course. But like you said about them having two first 11s, they've got, look at the subs that came on from today. They'd start for any of the team in the Premier League, and they're coming yeah. on for nine minutes against teams like Southampton. It's it's, it's kind of a shame in the way. I, I think it's it it kind of brings the competition down. As and it, yeah. it's sort of it's sort of that thing where no one really cares. They're so good, but they're expected to be so good because they've got all the money in the world to be so good. So it sort of it doesn't really matter when they win it, and I don't know. I I'd rather be a Fulham fan than a Man City fan, give, even though how much they're winning. Um, obviously, for the old school City fans, it's a bit different, but it's kind of oh, I don't know. You, with all the money in the world, you can buy the Premier League, can't you? It's, I don't know. I'd I'd, yeah, I'd be quite, a bit bored right. watching watching that every season. I'm sure they'll argue winning things is great, but but look how much more how much more fun we have supporting Fulham, eh? Well, I think like when we were in the championship oh, yeah. on the club and we were just sort of ticking over and we had a game against someone like Blackburn, you think, why would you sit down and try and find the stream and, and watch it for 90 minutes when you know we're probably just going to pass the ball around, have 70 percent possession and win 2-0? And that, Man City fans must feel like that sometimes when they're watching Man City against Burnley or sort of, you know, Newcastle when they know the other team's going to sit back for 90 minutes. And it can't be exciting. Mm. But then the excitement he gets on a Wednesday night in the Champions League. Or losing 2-0 to your rivals. Do you find... I just want to ask you, do you ever find the style quite... Because it's very beautiful, but people like Danny will argue. I've also heard other people say it on podcast shows that, you know, they, they even though it's very beautiful, it's so beautiful, it can sort of send you to sleep sometimes, Man City. So, do you, either of you find that a little bit? I just want to know your thoughts quickly. I don't, I don't know. I, I, like, I like watching good football. Don't get me wrong, I'd rather watch Man City every week than Burnley every week. Um, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, I, sort of football I can't stand is just, you know, 11 men behind the ball, lump up to the big guy, win a set piece, whip it in, try and score, get one of your centre-backs to score a header. That's just, that's just crap. But, yeah, but yeah it, it, I, I, do, I do get the argument. It's like, they're so good. They're just like, they're out there training every day, aren't they? There's, there's no jeopardy. I think what makes this sport wonderful is when you, you don't quite know what's going to go on. But watching City as mm. City the last decade, you sort of you kind of know, don't you? 
Give, yeah. give him apart, yeah. apart from you, you, you Aguero in the last minute and your uh, company from thirty five yards, wherever that came from. There's, there's been very little little threat to them, and, and yeah, that would that would bore me after a while. Aguero's, you know, you mentioned Aguero. I don't think he's even. I mean, he's fully fit on the bench. He came actually off on the bench tonight on the seventy fifth minute, but I don't think he's. Has he, has he scored in the Premier League yet this season? I don't think he has, and that's that scares me because that's the sort of thing that Fulham could do. Um, um, you know, I, I feel like that's the sort of a Harry Kane action waiting to happen, like his drought in August sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, looking at the Man United game against Man City, they played counter-attacking football brilliantly and were very organised. That's something that Fulham actually on paper do very well at the moment. But we're going to have to be a lot more clinical with our chances. And, you know, in the Liverpool game, those chances that were, I mean, Lamina's goal, superb, but we need to start, Actually, you know, the chances before that goal, we need to improve our accuracy massively if we're going to get anything out of this game. And running in from behind, as Man United did, those sort of moves. Um, anything you want to add there, Ben, quickly, before we move on? Yeah, well, I mean, um, looking at um, the way we've been playing recently, especially with um, Anderson, um, pinging that ball towards that left wing, towards Lookman, every time we seem to sort of find that space behind the right back. And yeah. that's something we might have to look to exploit um, against Man City just soaking up the pressure, getting the ball out and trying to ping it long out wide. Um, and, you know, you're against a brilliant team who should be able to deal with that. But, I mean, Liverpool couldn't. We, like you said, we created two, three chances that first half that we should have finished um, before the goal. So, I mean, if we can, mm. hopefully if we can create some chances, I mean, if it's a big ask though, isn't it? Well, you know, I mean, Southampton managed to score two tonight. One was a penalty, of course, but... You know, if we can just stay as compact as we usually are, you just never know. I'll be interested to know if we go with five at the bat for this one or maybe something interchangeable with uh, five and four. We'll talk about that a bit later on. Just their defence is unreal at the moment. I mean, Cancelo, what a signing he's been. And Ruben Diaz, I mean, he's one of the reasons they're doing so well. So it'd be, be very, very interesting. All right, look. We are going to go straight to a player focus now. We're going to go to Kit Simons. And why not, indeed? It was his 50th birthday recently. Take it away, Mr. Matt Beauclair and Morgan Carlton. Fulham. Right, so I've got Morgs with me for the latest in the series of In Focus Chats. This week, it's Kit Simons. How are you doing, Morgs? Good, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on this. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, let's get on with this one then. So, Kit Simons signed for Fulham, having just been released by Man City, who had been relegated from the first division to the second division in the summer of 1998. Fulham had just lost to Grimsby in the playoff semi-final the season before. Kevin Keegan had sacked Ray Wilkins and taken over as manager and brought in the Welsh international centre-half who had captained City before his departure. We already had Chris Coleman as centre-back, so to sign his international defensive partner was a bit of a no-brainer, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, given the opportunity to bring in a player of that quality, um, you know, obviously we, you look at Man City and go, they'd had a shocker of a couple of years, but he was still club captain. And to have the option to bring him in to partner a guy he knew very well, and I don't know how far back their friendship went, but obviously they sort of, they have, you know, a great chemistry together was, you know, yeah, you're right. It was a no brainer. And you especially considering that Keegan was bringing in the, you know, the 5-3-2 system as opposed to the 4-4-2 that we had before. We needed that extra bit of quality at the back because, yeah, Morgs was great. Um, but, you know, Alan Nielsen was all right, but he was very much a backup in a team of our quality. 
and so bringing in uh, Kit, yeah, I mean, it's you you couldn't really sort of find a better free uh, free transfer at the time. I think it probably made sense for Kit Simons to drop down a division as well. Okay, well, he he'd just been relegated with Man City, so he's heading into that division anyway. But Man City had been on the decline for the past couple of years, and he probably needed a fresh challenge with a club that was on the ascendancy again. But that, that's the thing, you know. You look at um, Fulham back in the the Keegan days, um, and it was a drop in divisions, but it wasn't a drop in quality. So for him, it was. I guess it was it was a step down, but you wouldn't have seen it like that as a player. And obviously, the money would have been pretty good um, for going to a team uh, of uh, you know the outside uh, squad. But it was sort of it was a challenge as well. I think he probably looked at it and went, "Well, I can join this team, and I could be back in the Premier League, you know, Premiership, what it was called by then, um, in a couple of years." So it didn't. It was probably a stepping stone to the the Premiership as opposed to a stepping stone back to another uh, bigger club. Yeah, I think that's fair. And a lot of players took the same attitude, I think, at the time as well, didn't they? Um, Kit slotted in alongside Cookie, who you've already mentioned, in a back three that also included Fulham legend Simon Morgan. With Steve Finnan and Rufus Brevett as wingbacks, it was a hell of a defence in front of Mike Taylor. Yeah, it's brilliant. And don't forget Gus Ullenbeek. Oh, who could forget? (laughs) Who could forget <laughs> But that's the thing. It was it was a great defence and a very attacking side. And uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about it a bit, you know, Kit's return in goals as well as his ability to defend. And it was just it was such a well balanced team. And you know, everything about it was so it was so much fun to watch. And I think that was one of the things with Keegan uh, Keegan's gay um, you know, style, whichever club he went to, you always knew you were gonna get goals. And it was always the defending goals that was going to be an issue there. But when you have a sort of defence of that quality, we even managed to, you know, stop, uh, plug the hole at the back. So it was just, it was one of those seasons, you know, like Tagana season. It was one of those uh, two out of three years that was just an absolute joy to watch. You're right as well about the balance because we had pacey players, we had strong players, we had seasoned pros, we had youngsters. It was just, it was a hell of a hell of a side, especially at that level. And I think the lower uh, division you go down, bearing in mind this is the third division in, by all intents and purposes, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, it was called Division 2 at the time, but, but the third division beneath, uh, beneath the Premier League. And um, just the lower, the lower you drop down through the divisions, the more pace kind of comes into it, doesn't it? Because you've got a lot of slower players, ageing players who have dropped down to a lower level. So to have all that pace in the side, you know, with Finnan and Brevet, um, Gus Ullenbeek. Um, well, that was, it, that was Gus's uh, main strength was his uh, pace. I mean, everything else is a little bit dodgy, but... <laughs> exactly. It was his only strength. His only strength. <laughs> uh, Kit Simons, though, had, as you said, had an unbelievable goal scoring record during his first season. 11 goals from centre-half in 45 appearances is an incredible return. Steve Hayward's corner delivery was superb, to be honest, that season. But Kit just always seems to be in the right place at the right time to head him home. I think if, you know, we'd had him uh, against uh, Palace the other day, it would have been, you know, uh, him instead of Anderson. You know, it was one of those, um, it just, yeah, everything he got his head onto seemed to fly in. And... Wasn't he like second top goal scorer that season as well, behind Pesk, I think? No, uh, well, no. Yeah. That, or so Horsefield, that maybe. Would have been Horsefield, maybe Hales, but he was definitely up. Oh, Hales, yeah. I was losing track of 
but it's 11 so un- goals in one season. I mean, it was, you know, for a centre-back, I know we scored a shed load of goals during that season, but for a centre-back to score that many, and I don't know how McCookie got, but, you know... It's, not that many. He got a couple, no. but not that many. But it's... um. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things, you know, sometimes the defender only needs sort of one chance at a corner to score. And it just so happens that all the corners, well, not all the corners, but the sort of the amount of corners that we had and the deliveries were so good for the most part, even though, you know, Steve Hayward was one of those players who was, you know, he was the set piece maestro, as it were, of that team. Occasionally they're a bit dodgy, but then it was Division Two. And Mm. so, you know, what do you expect? But to, uh, yeah, to pop up with that many, it was sort of, it kind of, almost made him a cult hero before he'd even had a chance to sort of, uh, you know, get a whole season under his belt. Now, I don't know where I heard this, but I've definitely heard somebody say it, whether it was Simon Morgan or whether it was Chris Coleman. But that season, because you had Chris Coleman, Simon Morgan and Kit Simons all going up for corners, the centre-halves from the other team would mark two of them, which would leave the other one free. And invariably, it was Kit Simons, which is why he was always available to nod home. And I think that was what it was either Coleman or Morgan, one of them put it down to. Well, that, that kind of, in this day and age, that probably wouldn't be allowed to happen because the manager would yeah. send his, oh, yeah, get some sort of video footage, go, actually, keep an eye on him. Um, yeah. You know, surely if there's, you know, a team's going to attack so hard at corners, you go and mark everyone. <laughs> so I don't know who they were leaving at the back. It was probably Stephen and or uh, Brevard, just to, in yeah. case it did ever come back. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's one of those things, you know, the beauty of lower league football prior to you know the last decade when it's all got a little bit more advanced down there. It's it was just sometimes a bit of a you know hoof it and see for most teams, and we come along with our nice fluid brand of football, del- pinpoint deliveries and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> just change the game down there. Yeah, that's right. Well, we won the league that season with a fourteen point lead over second place Walsall. And before I started researching um, these these player in focus chats, I couldn't I wouldn't have remembered that it was Walsall that finished second that season. Um, but anyway, Kevin Keegan's sides are, are known for being all out attack, but not necessarily so good at defending. But we conceded just thirty two goals in our forty six games that season, which somewhat dispels that theory, doesn't it? <clears throat> it does. I mean, I didn't realise it was that um, that lower total. I think you know, I said it was a well balanced side. I didn't realise it was that tight. Um, you know. Yes, the defenders were that good. But you still expect, you know, maybe not a one goal a game. I mean, it's 46 games. It's, I can't do the quick maths, but you're saying about 0.7 goals a game or something. And to have such a tight defence in a league like that, where teams do throw balls forward. So, you know, well, at, at that time anyway. Um, it's just it's a mark of that defence, really, because I'm sure Keegan spent, didn't spend too much time practicing defending in training. It would have all been about getting the ball forward and scoring five in case they score four. But you know, that was uh, we were just so much better than every team in that league that mm. season. Yes, we had uh, all that money to be buying the players, but at the same time, you know, money doesn't buy results. Good coaches and managers and players gelling together, they you know they get you the points. And clearly that team was so cohesive and so, so you know, so much you know, chemistry amongst the whole squad that it just became an incredibly fluid season. And there were barely any blips that I can remember. I mean, yes, I was 14 or something like that, but 
I just, you know, don't remember too many low points throughout it. No, exactly. It was it was a, a whirlwind, and I, we've said it before, but just just going to all these all these godforsaken places around the country at away games and singing "We'll Never Play You Again" and just winding up the locals by singing it just with the sheer arrogance of that song was just was really good fun. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. But that was the that was the season that we went and beat Villa as well, wasn't it? When they were um, they were top of the yeah. Premiership. Um, yeah. and we were top of them too and you know they would come along and uh, make them look incredibly ordinary and mm. uh, you know that Absolutely. was um, that was that was it was just yeah including that cup run uh, I know it obviously ended because uh, of John Salarco but it's uh... <laughs> poor John poor John, <laughs> John Salarco yeah that's all he's remembered for is that uh, yes, Old Trafford apparently you know apparently he's an incredibly nice guy but uh, you know yeah. we're, we're never going to know because he'll only yeah. be remembered for one thing um, yeah, you know it was just generally uh a fun season but when when you're of that age as well obviously you're a bit older than i was but it's uh the innocence of football as well at that age uh yeah. coupled with the fact that it was incredibly exciting it was like i didn't need to watch premiership football we had these top quality players playing this amazing attacking football and it was uh yeah just you know you kind of hark back to those days and uh <laughs> yearn for them sometimes yeah, you you really do. You really do. They were really good times. I loved it. Following promotion that season, Kevin Keegan left to take the England job, of course. Paul Bracewell took over as manager and he brought in his old mate, Andy Melville from Sunderland, which meant the kit only made 29 appearances as we finished a disappointing ninth in Division One. And then, of course, Sean Tagana came in and took over when Paul Bracewell lost his job. And then... It was somewhat awful circumstances during that Tigana promotion season that saw Kit back into the side as his best mate, Chris Coleman, suffered terrible injuries in that car crash in early January 2001, which ultimately ended his playing career. On the pitch, though, Kit came in and ensured that the team were not impacted at all as we once again romped home 10 points clear of Blackburn in second place. It must have been very difficult for Kit, though, to come back into the team under such circumstances when you know his best mates suffered such a horrific injury. Yeah, big time. I mean, when you have, uh, you know, that bond with someone in the team and let alone sort of uh, as a centre-back partnership. And we've seen it uh, quite a lot recently with various players. I mean, um, um, for example, uh, well, yeah, Tosin and Anderson, Diaz and uh, Stones up at Man City. You know, when a defensive duo have a partnership and they're playing well and it's because, you know, they get on and they read each other well, it's it's incredibly difficult to break it up. And I, you know, when Melville came in and Bracewell put him into the side instead of um, Kit, it kind, of, it kind of ruined it a bit from, from a, a watching point of view. Because, yes, OK, Melville was also um, a Welsh teammate, but Kit and Cookie had this connection that I don't know if, uh, you know, Melville and Cookie had. But, you know, having to come in, um, halfway through the season, he was a professional and he was a very good professional and he got on with it. And again, much like the Keegan uh, era, it was uh, coming into a team that was playing incredibly good football. And whilst defence was important, it was very much the attacking um, side of the game that was driving, uh, you know, driving all the wins. We weren't holding on in a lot of games. And so I think he was almost eased back into the team rather than sort of having to come in and then, you know, 
be on his best from the get-go. He was able to get up to match fitness or match sharpness even. Um, whereas uh, had he come in during the Bracewell era after such uh, time, you know, it was all about defence. It was always about sort of nicking that result. Uh, that, I mean, apart from the fact that it was dull as dog shit, uh, water uh, football, but it was, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been particularly um, easy slotting in at that time. But I think, uh, yeah, Tagana era was very much uh, a different kettle of fish. Total football, wasn't it, back in those days? Again, that was, that was, you know, that was also a joy to watch. And we were very lucky in those uh, three seasons to have two years of amazing football to watch. Um, sandwiching, uh, you know, absolute dross for one season, but you know, it was whatever the reason for getting Bracewell in. Uh, it, it cemented our place in Division One at least, and set us up nicely for uh, the Championship season. I, I think that was a fair trade, though. Watching that one season of crap for those two amazing ones, I'd take that every time. Those those two seasons were brilliant. Yeah, you can't have you can't have nice things all the time. You got to you know, <laughs> exactly. to spoil. Yeah, a bit a bit of light and shade, eh? Um, but having having achieved promotion to the Premiership, Kit's first team opportunities became limited, particularly after the signing of Alan Goma, and he left for Crystal Palace. He achieved so much with Fulham, though. But his departure for me, the way I remember it, almost went under the radar a little bit. How do you remember it when he left, or do you remember it at all? No, I mean point? I remember him leaving, and I, but same as same as you, it was he was released, wasn't he? It? it was just a out on a free transfer, I think. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I looked earlier and it, I, I found somewhere that said 400,000, but I'm, oh. I'm not sure. At that time, you know, 400,000 was absolute pittance to us because of money that was being thrown around. And it was yeah, it was a shame to see him go because I always um, thought he was better than Melville. Um, I don't, you know, whether that's my memory being hazy or something, but I always thought he put in, uh, was far more solid at the back. And I think him and Goma, would have been a better defensive option than Melville and Goma. Um, but, uh, you know, it was maybe Melville was just a more established professional or whatever was keeping him in the team. Uh, but, yeah, he just he went on and, you know, had a... I can't remember how long he was at Palace for, but you always knew they were going to get a decent player. And it's a shame that it, he did go out so quietly. It's a shame that he only really had one full season. And, um, you know, it was such a great season at that. And so it's sort of, whereas he, you know, you see a lot of players who play for us for years, they become club legends and whatnot. Kit didn't really, you know, didn't play enough to become a club legend, but he became a bit of a cult hero because of his goal scoring record in that season and his ability to step in in place of Cookie in the um, second half of uh, the Div 1 season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about your favourite moment of his playing career with the club then. Can you, is there anything, any one moment that you can think of? To be honest, no. I mean, I just, the thing that always did come to mind was that season under Keegan. Mm. And, you know, it's, you know, I struggle to remember a couple of weeks ago a lot of the time at the moment, but it's, yeah. you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to remember back to that. It's, uh, I just remember him uh, popping up a lot and score, scoring goals. And uh, I also remember just being disappointed that it wasn't in the team as much anymore. Um, so I think, you know, my moment of kit is very much uh, the Keegan season. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's fair enough. I'll, I'll go a little bit more granular because I remember going to Stoke away that season. And I remember at the start of the season, Stoke made a really good start. They were top. And I think we um, we beat them at home. Um, 
and Rufus Brevet scored. And then we went up there towards the end of the season, midweek, and Kit Simons scored this looping header to, to win the game 1-0. So that's that's the one that I can remember. Um, but I'd, I'd have to look back through the, all of the um, all of the old goals of the season, VHSs, to uh, yeah. to remember all of those goals. But they're, they're all very similar, all kind of headers from in and around the, the penalty area. Yeah, he headers. must have scored. He must have scored eleven goals and um, with eleven touches. A uh, bit like, yeah. um, a bit like Papa Booby Diop. Yeah, you know, I don't think yeah. I think he only scored one goal ever with more than one touch. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, yeah. He's, maybe, maybe I should have done a bit more research in uh, flashbacking to those things. But uh, yeah. well, it's, they were, I think he might have scored one with his foot as well. I remember him sticking one in into the top corner from inside the box. But it was all kind of from from you know corners and set pieces which you know was was his forte as a centre half that's you know you, you can't you can't start to pick apart goals that a centre half scored and um if and, they and score them any... it's great <laughs> exactly you can't yeah. expect anything more than uh, it being bundled in or it being a header but the fact that he got so many and was in the right place in the right time was just incredible um kip was to return to the club as a scout over the years but it was in september 2014 that he found himself in charge of the first team having been promoted from managing the under-21s after the disaster that was Felix Magat. He went on to get five wins out of nine games, which moved us out of the relegation zone and ended up getting getting him the job full-time. How did you feel when he got the job? Was it the right move or were the club given no choice, given the results that he'd got? I mean, I just felt relieved. I think the whole Magat thing was a uh, a disastrous experiment. He ruined any feel-good factor that was around the club. And obviously that was pretty low anyway, considering we got relegated after 13 years. And it needed someone like Kit, who knew the club, who had an affinity with it, to come in and kind of trans- uh, stick us through a transition phase. I don't think he was ever really seen as a long-term solution. And he did just that. You know, the as soon as he came in and Magat, uh, you know, jumped on his bike back to whichever part of Germany he comes from. And he, um, you know, he, there felt like there was a cloud lifted. Yeah. And I think the fact that he did get uh, the results uh, in those first nine games during his caretaker uh, stint, you couldn't really sort of then bring in someone else who didn't know the club. They needed to, they had to go with him for that time. And uh, yeah, he, he gave himself a good. He gave a good account of himself as manager. It's um, just you know we'll talk about it, but I don't think it was ever due to last. Well, in the end, he lasted just a year in the hot seat and was booted out following the five-two defeat at home to Birmingham with the club in mid-table. It's a bit of a shame for Kit in the end, as he was a nice guy, but ultimately, as we said, he was somebody who knew the club and was brought in as a safe pair of hands to see the club through a difficult time, but probably wasn't the right man to push us on to the next level which over a period of having firstly Peter Grant and then Stuart Gray looking after the team, Slavisa Djokanovic was able to do. But he was there a year. It was probably about the right time for him to go, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think, I don't know if the, you know whether it was rumours or not, but there was a, it was a bit of a, a lad's atmosphere down there. Um, I think, you know, someone like uh, Richard Stearman, coming in was definitely a sort of like, you know, party boy signing almost. And it probably wasn't the sort of professional uh, coach that we needed. I mean, obviously very professional, but it wasn't the the strict um, 
organization that uh, Slavisa had. And I think it was, that's fine. You know, it was, uh, you know, we were in a situation where we needed to have um, a team who enjoyed playing it. And whether that's, sort of, you know, whether it would have been a good idea to bring in someone, you know, a hardcore, uh, you know, coach who implemented a strict regime from the outset, whether that's straight after Magat, that would have been healthy for the club. I don't know. Uh, but I think having someone who is personable, who is, you know, you can tell it would be easy to get along with Kit. But, he, you know, he wasn't tactically inept. I mean, okay, questionable at times, but he, you know, he led the team well. And so I think having him for that period, we weren't expected to go up under him. You know, he took us over in the relegation zone and made sure that we didn't finish in it. He did his job. He had to go... Um, you know, when he did, because we clearly weren't moving forward. And, you know, had we carried on in the vein that we were going, you know, we, we may have ended up going down. Who knows? It was early days still. But having uh, him, he came in, he steadied the ship to an extent, and then it was time to move on to the next phase. And, you know, he went without anyone disliking him, I think. He went with everyone sort of good luck, you know, hope you push on to the next step. And uh, yeah, and then we went on to, you know, as it were, bigger and better things for a bit. He signed Tom Kearney as well, didn't he? Yeah, I think he signed. I mean, I can't remember all the players he signed, but, you know, obviously Kearney is his legacy in terms yeah. of players that he brought in. Whether, you know, um, Tony Khan might argue that it was him that brought him in, um, I don't know. But, you know, it certainly was a signing that came in under Simons and has become a club legend. I don't know whether Tony Khan was even. Director of football then, was he? 2015? Can't remember when Tony... Yeah, he came in in 2014. Oh, maybe maybe he came in 2015. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to have an argument with him as to who he signed or who didn't. No, <laughs> no, no. Let's, let's, let's say it was Kip for the purposes of this, <laughs> I reckon. Um, well, after after he left, Kip just followed Chris Coleman around as his assistant wherever Chris Coleman got a job. They got a good job in charge of Wales, a not-so-good job as they unsuccessfully tried to rescue Sunderland's fortune in the ill-fated 17-18 championship season. Then they had a spell in charge of Hebei China fortune too. I mean, that, those were great days. <laughs> yeah, we, all, we all remember those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, uh, yeah, I mean, they're probably clearing, you know, a couple hundred grand a week. It was probably great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not probably. sure what happened to them. I know, I know they only lasted a year. Uh, but, I mean, from a point of view of... Uh, trying something different. I mean, I can't remember if he went with um, Cookie to uh, Sociedad. It was that when he was managing us. Um, yeah, I'm not knows. sure. I no, I don't, I don't think he did. That might, have been, that might have been too early. I'm not sure. But then, um, I don't know what Cookie's plan is next in terms of if he's still looking for management opportunities. But, you know, most likely Kit will go with him again. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like, a bit like Hodgson and Lewington. You know yeah. they they make a good team. Um, I don't you know, I don't think Cookie's the you know, one of the greatest managers around, but I mean it's always good when you do have uh, you know that camaraderie with the assistant and you know playing together at club and country level, and then having sort of you know the the relationship as a management duo. I mean that really does help and it brings something to a club as well if you're looking to um, you know plan for the future. They came back against us, didn't they, as well? Just before uh, we got promoted last time, we had that Sunderland game. I think it was our uh, penultimate game of the season, was it? When we had Sunderland at home and we beat them 
two one having gone having gone one nil down and Chris Coleman was manager and Kit was Kit was his assistant. I think Kit had a big old white beard at the time as well. But if you watch <laughs> if you watch um if you watch the first season of Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, then you see uh you see Chris Coleman come in and take over as Sunderland for, for a few episodes and it's not not that pretty to be honest. No, I watched I think I watched up to Cookie coming in, him going in and all the sort of tea ladies getting a bit excited. And yeah. it was uh and then I got bored because oh, I knew what happened. <laughs> oh, you, you, you should have stuck at it because he gets confronted by a, a supporter outside the, the ground and they, they have a bit of a tete-a-tete before a steward steps in. And, and but that's the thing, you, um, you wouldn't imagine Kit Simon saying boo to a ghost, but I imagine Cookie would try and headbutt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Chris, yeah. Chris Coleman's a unit, isn't he? You wouldn't mess with him. He's yeah. just big, solid, strong guy. So, yeah, I certainly wouldn't mess with him. Anyway, um, well, we should probably rate both Kit's playing career and his managerial career at Fulham separately. So let's go with his playing career first. What would you give him out of 10? It's a really hard one to mark because the one full season that he played, I'd probably have to give him a nine on mm. or even, you know, or even a 10 because he was, it was centre-back perfection. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like you're marking his... Uh, Playing career in one season, I'm going to guess the rest of it. But it's, uh, I, you know, give, I'll give him an eight. You know, he he didn't get the game time, well, uh, that much game time in the two seasons following. But I mean, when he did, he played well. And that season in um, Div Two, he was brilliant. So I'll give I'll give him an eight. Yeah, I think I'd give him an eight as well. Um, slightly marked down because he, I guess he didn't really make it at a higher level. Although that's, that's, I suppose that's harsh, because he, he did for the, the second half of the, the Tagana season. Um, and he couldn't help it that there were just better players brought in in front of him. But I, I think... Well, arguably, arguably better. I'm not quite sure if uh, Melville was or not. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, is, it is debatable. But he, he did play for quite a long time in the full defence, Andy Melville. And he got a lot of stick, didn't he? Because he wasn't the quickest. But positionally, I think he was he was pretty good. And he certainly didn't chip in with the goals that um, that Kit Simons did, uh, and he probably wasn't as popular just because he was very quiet and unassuming, really, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and I guess a little bit dour, if if anything. But he, he wasn't, wasn't. He was a very Bracewell signing. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's... Millville sort of there. That it pretty, pretty much sums up the Bracewell regime. I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, couldn't have put it better myself. So, so yeah, no, eight for his playing career, and then what about his managerial career? I will give him uh, a six. Um, It would be lower if he hadn't come in and basically rejuvenated uh, the club as a whole. Um, I don't, you know, he wasn't a tactician. He was a motivator and he did that very well, but he didn't move the club forward. He just steadied it. And Mm. I think that, that he did a good job in that respect, but he, I don't think he would have been uh, shocked to have been given his marching orders. And I think it was very much a case of, thanks very much. You know, I came in, I helped out and uh, good luck. Well, had, had the club not got one of the richest people on the planet as as the chairman with huge ambitions for the club to, you know, to be back in the Premier League, then potentially he might have been given a bit longer. But they weren't messing around, were they? They, they wanted to get back up. They weren't. but I, And I think the fact um, that he hasn't, taken any other managerial jobs since probably speaks a lot of what he thinks about his abilities as a manager mm. um you know he's happy I, well i've put words in his mouth but he seems happy to be an assistant 
or to be a coach. Maybe being head coach was just a little bit out of his comfort zone. And, you know, being, you know, Cookie's assistant, who clearly someone who wants to be a head coach, um, just suits him perfectly. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, it kind of landed in his lap as well, didn't it? The 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 role because, as I said earlier, he was uh, under twenty one manager, and he was just kind of given the job on an interim basis. Uh, once the, we just it was a case of like get McGat out of this club straight away, and then we're worried about what we're going to do afterwards. But then results started to pick up, and he grew into it. Yeah, very much so. so. And uh, you know, um, you know, you can't give anything but praise for that. He clearly had the attitude that the um the club needed and you know it's uh sometimes you don't need to be the best at what you're doing to get something out of players mm. sometimes you just you know just don't have to be an arsehole and uh, yeah. he came in and uh yeah. was the complete antithesis of McGat. and yeah. so he um you know by that uh by that stretch he um you know he did something that uh felix couldn't and that was make the players believe that they were good players and that they could, you know, play with a bit of freedom without fear of uh, retribution, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you as well, by the way. I'd say a six. So average it out and say seven for his for his Fulham career, his career. overall. I think, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think he's, so. he's also one of those players that will always be welcome back. Yeah. You know, when he, him and uh, Cookie came back for a game, I can't remember which one, but it was... Uh, I can't remember if it was last season or not. I mean, that's being at a game seems so long ago. Uh, yeah, it does. I think it might have been. Actually, no, that's right. It was just after they got the Sunderland job, or just before, or something like that. They came down. Uh, just there about to be a point, and I think or something. Um, or am I, I making that up? I, no, I think you're making that up. I think they got a, a forever Fulham award together on the pitch last season. Um, when they weren't, uh, you know, it was after all these jobs that we talked about, but I can't remember who it was against. No idea. I know what it was because I uh, I did something about um, Kit Simon something on another podcast just after they they got the management job. That's another another podcast. Was. How very dare you? No, 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 no. It was full of focus. No, no, don't oh, worry. Okay. No other pop. No other podcast will have me. That's fine. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, mate. Well, thanks for that. I enjoyed that. Let's pass this back to the main show. Fulham. Thank you very much, Frenchie. All right, we're back and we're going to go through Stato stats now. And to start this off and get the ball rolling is going to be the wonderful Ben here. And anyone listening, he may have a Northern accent, but he's a Fulham fan, okay? And it's it's seldom do you find Northern fans that are Fulham, but we are so lucky to have him. Take it away, Ben. Yeah, can I just say, I didn't come here through choice. I, I was 11. <laughs> I was brought here against my will as a child. Um, my parents, team, not, not just by some <laughs> London people. It was my parents. Um, <laughs> So Man City stats this season. Um, oh. So they're doing better this season than last season. They're currently eight points better off than they were last season. But they're three points worse off than they were in 18-19 when they last won the league. And they're 10 points worse off than when they got 100 points in 17-18. They've only lost three games this season. Two of them have come at home and only one away. And that was to Spurs. They lost 2-0 in November. And I think also they lost to Leicester, didn't they? It was 5-2 to Leicester and they recently lost to... To Man United, obviously, just the other night. So that's three. That's those are the three teams they've lost to, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that last game was a bit of a shock, actually. Um, but I mean, I mean, it shows they can be scored against. Uh, like this Southampton game tonight, um, like you mentioned, they they can concede goals. It's just about not letting them score five. Yeah, if, exactly. well, if you want to win. Um, the only bottom half teams to have picked up points against it this season have been West Brom and Leeds, who both got one all draws. 64% of the goals they've scored in the away games have come in the first half. 
the majority right. which have come between the 16th and the 30th minute. Okay. And the only team actually to have conceded less goals than us since December, I think, is Man City. All uh, right, so we're still second below them for that for that statistic, aren't we? Yeah, since since December. Um, oh, we've done so well since Anderson we? got going. We've got better, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've only conceded eight goals in away games this season. So, I mean, it's going to be a, judging by these stats, it's going to be a low-scoring game, which I'll take. I'll take a nil-nil to be fair. And this season, they're averaging twelve point six successful dribbles per game, which puts them second in the league. There's only one team to have more successful dribbles per game, and that's the Mighty Whites with 13.9. We've had more successful dribbles per game than Man City this season. I think most of them are in our own half. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Zambo taking around the same guy three times will do that. Still, though, I'll take it. That's brilliant. It's a weird one. It's a weird one because I don't quite understand what... I don't really understand what counts as successful dribble. I, I see this stat all the time, but is it just taking taking one player on and then... If AK-47 hasn't got the ball, then it's successful. <laughs> if he tries it, it's unsuccessful. That's what we need to know. Yeah, right, fair <laughs> enough. So whatever he doesn't do is, is good. Got it. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. I mean, usually it's Will Oakley who's dribbling over uh, Anguissa, to be honest. That's usually how it works. <laughs> um, I mean, um, right, this is... Let's look at the players' stats really quickly. See, goalkeeper-wise, you've got Edison, who he's played all but one Premier League game for City so far this season, and he's the only keeper in the Prem to have a registered assist to his name. I mean, Edison, Edison's just world class, isn't he? Even even the way he walks and struts his stuff around the goal goalpost is, is something just so celebrity-like. I can't really explain it, but he, he spends most of his time actually outside the box now. I mean, he's so sweet. I mean, a lot of people get a bit dramatic and say he could put, put him in midfield. I'm not sure about that one, but he is an absolute class, that guy. Um, Defence-wise, you've got Ruben Diaz, who has completely, you know, been one of the signings of the season for them. And, and he's been their most frequent defender uh, from Pep Roulette. And, and you know what? Speaking of Pep Roulette, I don't know how many of you boys play fantasy, but I am sick of Pep Guardiola not playing Sterling when you need him or when you've actually captained him. Like, I've lost so many points to Pep Roulette this season. Have you guys as well? I mean, it's actually ridiculous. I don't know what team he's ever going to put out, to be honest. I, I gave up on fantasy football after the first week, I think. But I'm close I mean, to tonight. Well, tonight, <laughs> Ster- tonight, Sterling started on the bench again. Yeah, you know, I mean, it shows their, what? their strength and depth, doesn't it? I captured him again. All right, well, all right, never mind. I digress. Okay, so, um, you know, Ruben Diaz, who's played 25 games so far this season, uh, no centre-back has made more passes than him this season as well. And as I said, Cancelo, who's been exquisite for them as well, annoyingly, he's... Um, been very impressive. He can play either on the right or the left. Two assists and one goal for the attacking fullback, but so many clean sheets, obviously getting those points for me in the um, defender. Uh, anything you can see from the midfield there that's standing out to you there, Dom, for the, the stats? Well, I mean, the fact that their top scorer has come from midfield this season, Ilke Gundogan. Uh, oh, it's Gundogan, he's, yeah. having, he's, he's having a funny old season, isn't he? He's, 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 How many he's goals has he had now? What can you say? It's 11, 11 goals, um, but only one assist. So he's he's sort of chipping in on their, by putting the ball in the net rather than setting them up this season. But you know, there's there's so many of them that can that can get an assist. I don't think that really matters to them. Um, seven out of his eleven from inside the penalty box. So so they're not, they're not all screamers. He's he's proper box to box. Gets up there, arrives late. Oh, so he scored tonight as well, hasn't he? Of course. So um, to make that twelve. Um, I don't, you know, we're we're not going to get a player who gets a striker who gets close to that this season. So um, that that kind of 
shows you how how good he's been. Well, you know what? Actually, sorry to interrupt you, Don. It's actually 12 goals he scored now as well, isn't it? Because of tonight's game. Ben just mentioned that. So yeah, he's yeah. actually on 12 goals. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. I mean, that's what that's what Mitro got for. Oh, he got 11, didn't he? Or was it 12? He got uh, 11, yeah. He I mean, you know. Went down. So, yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they can, any player on the pitch can, can score goals for them. Um, Phil Foden, who mentioned him earlier, he's... He's really coming into his own this season. Six goals, three assists. Um, obviously, that <laughs> that goal he scored, where he just sort of pinged it through for the net from from a tight angle, was just ridiculous. He's brilliant. He's now a player. I'd, I'd have him starting for England at the moment. He's he's that good. Um, well, it, Pep's sort of now finally brought him out of like uh, you know the, the the freezing chamber. Do you know what I mean? He's been yeah. protecting him for yeah. so long the past two seasons, and fans, even in, yeah, all England fans, have been wanting to see more of Foden. Now he's becoming yeah. some sort of. He's a bit more than a 10 now, really. It seems to me that he can actually play on, on the right wing as well. He can sort of just play anywhere in that front sort of three. Yeah, sort of yeah. 10, 10, 11, 7. He plays, he plays all over yeah. the pitch. Um, drifts in and out. That's but that's just like, they've, that's what I was saying earlier. They've got, they've got five or six of that type of player. Um, any one of them can come in and do the same job. So there's no... Again, it's a lot of teams you've got... Mm. You, you, the defense have got a rest when one of their best players goes off, but but not against City. Um, That's right. Kevin De Bruyne, another one who's obviously coming back from injury, and he's got three goals and eleven assists. So you've got you've got Gundogan scoring the goals. You've got De Bruyne setting up the goals. There's, everywhere oh. you look, there's, there's goals. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be it'll be a test of the second best defense since December. Yeah, I mean, uh, Raheem Sterling is having a quieter, but quite an effective season still. I mean, he's had nine goals and, and you know, I say a quieter season. I mean, Jesus Christ, nine goals and five assists. Um, you might see him in a false nine role, which he's played a bit this season. But, you know, like I said, Sergio Aguero is still yet to score in the Prem and he might actually start against us. I can imagine that being the sort of, I was about to say arrogant move from Pet. It's not an arrogant move to play fucking Aguero against Fulham, is it? But, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it is maybe sort of a bit, maybe... Uh, uh, giving us a bit too much respect putting Aguero on what he hasn't started this season, which is an insane thing to say. Um, Gabriel Jesus, who's obviously scored six goals and three assists. Look, there's just, there's talent all over the pitch and it's going to be a miracle if we get a point or anything more. But I'd like to actually just go back to quickly to the lineup here. Is there anything that you potentially would change here, Matt Dunn? Would you maybe, would Loftus Cheek be better off starting? I quite liked him off the bench, for instance. Or would you have Mitrovic instead of Malia? Major, sorry, uh, anything that you would change if you had to? I mean, you know, you know what I think of Mitrovic. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down with the ship, insisting that he's our best striker, even though. He is. <laughs> even though no, but I, he I, is. I admit it, it's not, it's not his season. I don't quite know what's going on. Um, you know, former temporary uh, class is permanent. He's still technically. Our yeah, best striker. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I think. I think in a game where we're we're not going to have a lot of the ball, let's face it, we're going to be defending a lot. Um, I think the striker is going to need to to create and get involved a bit more. I think that. I think that's Mitchell rather than Madger. Madger's obviously got his got his talents, and I think that is, you know, last shoulder of the defender getting into space, running in behind. He's he's more that kind of striker, and I. I you could say he's suitable for the counter attack, but I I'd I like to see Mitro involved as a, as an outlet for when we do get the ball. Um, sure, uh, who knows? As, as Ben said earlier, we can't really you can't really question question anything if it, if it's the same lineup because <laughs> we just beat Liverpool at Anfield. So I, I trust Scott's going to get the right make the right call. Um, 
and I, I like. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Tosin can do. I think he's going to be. I think he's gonna yeah, be really up for it. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about he might have a, a you know not might he definitely has a huge point to prove, doesn't he? I mean, it was him who wants. To, I mean, he wanted to emulate uh, Vincent Company, and he and Vincent Company loved uh, Tosin Adarabayo a lot. Uh, had a lot of you know high praise for him as a, as a kid through the ranks of Man City. So that that's a very good point, mate. I think Tosin will be very much up for this. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on this, really quickly, mate, before we go to score predictions? Yeah, I mean, I think Mitrovic is the best striker in the right settings. Like if, if we're playing his style, his way, that we're wearing a slav, then perfect. But at the moment, like you said, I don't think we can change it. I got a great result. I think Magic does his job. Um, just think with, with playing well, we're going to need a bit of luck as well. You look at Norwich Man City game from a few years ago in the Premier League when Norwich beat him 3-2. Yeah. Norwich had seven shots, three on target and scored three goals. Man City had 25 shots, 70% possession, uh, 16 corners. So, I mean, you, you still need a bit of luck, even if you are going to go out there and play your best. So, yeah. So, something well, to bear in mind. No, for sure. Um, luck's certainly been on our side at the moment, and I hope it stays that way. I mean, is it 10, it's 10 games left now, guys. I mean, I, I it's, a, it's a weird feeling at the moment. I mean, I know this is a free hit, as Dom, as Dom rightly says. Well, not rightly. I mean, but, you know, in a fair enough way, I can see why it could be a free hit. But, there's a really nice vibe going on. Fulham, I feel, are finally getting their just desserts when it comes to praise in, in the media. And um, long may it rain. I, I, and as you say, we're third in the form table. Who, who knows? If we keep this up and we just keep matching at least Newcastle's results, then we can you know, see them off on the final day. But I hope it's done before then, of course. And just quickly, what would your score predictions for, be, uh, for this be? And I'll go straight back to you, Ben. I'm going to take a, a one-all... So I went one all last time and won one nil. So I'll go one all again. All right. All right, nice. I was actually gonna say one or I think they're gonna I think they're gonna score first, and I can just sense a sort of a Mitrovic equalizer in the last minute, which would be absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's maybe a bit overly positive for me. Don, what have you got? Yeah, I'm also going for a last minute Fulham goal, but it's two one and it's Adrian ah, okay. Bio. Oh, you know, you know you guys know I've been calling this for about three you or four. You have, yeah, the header, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen and who better to do it against than than his old his old stomping ground? Not his old stomping ground, but his old his old team. Um, last minute thumping header. Off comes a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Proper celebration without obviously without the fans joining him, but dribbling um, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Exactly. Um, two one. Let's go for it. Why not? As I say, it's a free hit, but it's a free hit with with a genuine chance to get something out of it. Um, and you got it's, yeah. it's not it's not just it's not just a free hit as a normal team in the bottom three would get. I, I think I think of recent bottom threes in Premier Leagues, I think we've got as good a chance as any of them. I think you're right. And I think also, I mean, it's nice to be able to express ourselves um, a bit more. I mean, Liverpool, they gave us so much time on the ball and they didn't press us. I think Man City will definitely press us a lot higher and learn from the, the you know, the DVDs of how we played against Liverpool. But I, I think, you know, when we had Burnley, Palace and um, uh, I can't remember the other one now, but, you know, it was basically three park buses in a row, those games. And it was just very frustrating. So I feel like with this, at least we could maybe just at least have a little bit of fun along the way uh, <laughs> in this game slightly, even though we could lose. Ben, is there something you want to conclude with, mate? Yeah. Are you going 2-1 Fulham, Dom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant last-minute consolation. I thought, I why is he taking his shirt off? 
running down those sides. <laughs> <laughs> Going mental because he scored a consolation in the last second. He completely yeah. lost sight of the score as he as he as he puts it. <laughs> All right. Well, look, guys, it's been lovely. I think we'll call it a day there. Um, thank you very much to Ben Robinson. Thank you very much to Matt Dom. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back with a reaction show with Frenchie, who will be hosting. And we'll be back after that with a Leeds preview as well. If you like what we're here, please tell your friends about us. We appreciate your support. See you soon. Come on, you whites. Fulham.